and welcome to episode 62 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. I am your host, Adam C. McKinnon, and the show is Andrew Jones' career war uh, old today. And, uh, you know, Andrew Jones finishing his career with 62.7 baseball reference wins above replacement, 61 of which were earned during his time with the Atlanta Braves from 1996 to 2007. Of course, uh, he did go on to play for the Dodgers and the Rangers. Uh, They they did not go as well. Uh, Ultimately, I think uh, he is a Hall of Famer, and he is our... We are Andrew Jones old. Andrew Jones war old today. You'll notice I didn't introduce my co-host, Jim Passan. It's just me today. Just Adam C. McKinnon. And uh, going to try to, uh, we're going to have a shorter show, but I just still a couple things I wanted to talk about this week. Um, and from a news and notes perspective, um, other than me having a very hard time watching the Atlanta Braves play baseball, uh, <laughs> it is, you know, it, it's one of those things where you watch this whole division, the, the NL East, we all knew this was going to be a competitive division. The Marlins had some glimpses of, you know, being the worst team, maybe not clearly the worst team, but the worst team in it. They still have some interesting upside to them. The Phillies, you never know, you know, you don't know if you're going to get the perpetual underachievers or if their roster is really going to live up to the ceiling, you know, of, I mean, you wouldn't think that a, on paper, a lineup of DD Gregorius and Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins, uh, you wouldn't think that that, or, or in, a, in a rotation fronted by, uh, Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, that there would be this many problems, but they, they may actually have, uh, be finding something of a stride this year. Um, the Mets being the making, you know, getting Lindor in the offseason. They have Jacob deGrom. Uh, you know, they have not scored runs at all. I mean, it's comical at this point. I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to say anything that hasn't already been said by uh, the Twitterverse in terms of how terrible the New York Mets are at scoring runs. And the Washington Nationals, who a team that, you know, the rotation you know, the Corbin, Scherzer, Strasburg collectively either aging out or breaking down. Uh, this is a team that has, you know, some interesting parts to it. Trey Turner. Uh, but overall is, is, to me anyway, it almost, I wouldn't say they're worse than the Marlins, but they don't have, at least the Marlins have this interesting upside and some really good front-end pitching. Uh, the Nationals had really good front end pitching. I don't know if it's still there. Uh, it may not be, but, uh, this is uh, the entire division sitting below 500, depending on the outcome of the game. As I'm recording this, I haven't checked the score somewhat recently, but the entire division, we knew they were going to beat up on each other, but this is pretty wild right now. Uh, I, I don't know if it'll be indicative of the whole season, but this is has suddenly turned into the division that is most intriguing, not because of the win total. I, it would not shock me anymore. Because, again, I know it's small sample size. I get that. But we are looking at a lot of teams here, and all the teams in this division, the Braves who are in the Phillies, you know, team, the teams that, and the Mets, 
they've all been exposed for some pretty significant structural flaws in their roster and on their team. And so you can't help but wonder if this is if this is going to continue. If these teams are both, if the Braves bullpen and the pitching in general is really this bad, if the Mets offense is really this bad, if the Phillies are going to continue to get so anemic production from particular parts of their lineup, especially in the outfield, they're going to, this division could end up with an 89 win or an 88 win division you know, the division winner could win only need to win 89 or 88 games because they're going to beat up on each other so much. And we were talking about this uh, all off season with the central. Well, you know, maybe it's the East. (laughs) So, uh, that's something worth watching, but I don't really have a whole lot other than in the news and notes, uh, section when it comes to that type of thing. So, uh, it's just me. So I'm going to keep it a shorter episode tonight. And, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, I did a couple of Twitter polls um, that, to kind of just get a feel for how people were feeling on a particular, or a vibe for how people were feeling on um, uh, some things that I've been interested in recently. So centering around uh, the first one uh, that I posted earlier in the week, uh, when it comes to, it, we, I posted this on Friday, so... When you, when you look at uh, two potential milestones for players, you know, marks of good years, right? You have a batter going 40-40, which hasn't happened since 1998 when Alex Rodriguez did it. Or you have a pitcher go 10 complete games. Now, that has happened a few more times, but it hasn't happened since 2011. What do you think will happen first? And so 89.5% of people voted that the uh, 40-40 season would come first. Uh and so I agree with that. But from a practical standpoint, I feel Ronald Acuna was very close uh, in 2019. Uh, Jose Ramirez also had a pretty good, legit shot at it just, uh, I think, a couple years before that or the year before that. You know, it's, it is a uh, couple that with the trend of, you know, uh, managers being very quick to their bullpen and just stocking up on bullpen. I mean, they got guys coming out of middle relievers you know, walking, walking onto the major leagues, uh, throwing a hundred with arm side run, you know? And, uh, so I, I did a little bit of digging and, you know, pitchers with at least a hundred innings pitch per year. So we'll say established starters. These are guys that managers go to and show up for 26 starts a year, 27 starts a year. Their usage on average innings per start has gone from six and a third to five and a third since the year 2000. So they're, they've lost a whole inning on this. And, um, I think that's something, you know, you're less likely to see a complete game in general. But what I thought was kind of interesting is maybe, maybe like, you know, let's say someone like Trevor Bauer or somebody like Jacob deGrom, Lux into a couple double headers, a couple seven inning double headers this year. I mean, it's not impossible. I think the 40 40 is more likely. I tend to agree. But I'm just saying that it, it could happen that we could see a 10 complete game season if the seven inning double headers are something that are going to stay for a while. 
you know, stealing bases is taboo now. Stealing bases is not something that, you know, if you're a player that has the 40-40 capability, uh, a lot of teams are going to ask the player to not steal as much. You know, and stealing is generally antithetical to the modern approach to uh, to managing games. You know, don't get out on the bases. Don't make outs that aren't necessary. So, I mean, it's going to take the right type of manager. It's going to take the right type of situation. Not all that dissimilar to a, um, you know, to a pitcher. You know what I mean? The, you got to have somebody that's willing to let Bauer, uh, maybe not so much to Grom, Something that's going to, that, you know, Dave Roberts is going to have to let him go out there and throw 120 pitches like he, like, um, like Tito Francona did when he was in, in Cleveland. So I, I, I agree with the, uh, with the poll results. It, uh, it's way more likely that we'll see a 40 40 season, but I, I don't want to rule it out that we could see a 10 complete game season if we, like I said, if the schedule lines up correctly, it's not unthinkable. So. Because, you know, managers are not trusting the guys they're supposed to. Because evidenced earlier, as I mentioned earlier, they're not letting starters go as fast or as long into the game. But, you know, if you get the right situation, I'm just saying we can't rule it out. So I just thought that was an interesting question. I wanted to see how many people actually thought that, hey, you know what, a complete game, 10 complete game season is not the question. I mean, the last guy to do it was James Shields. So... It's not like it's impossible. It's not. It's it's happened more recently and more often than a forty forty season. So uh, I don't I don't think it's as clear cut, but it's it's an interesting possibility. So uh, the second of the polls that I posted, you know, uh, I posted a couple of rules that uh, were are being sort of toyed around with by Major League Baseball. And, you know, they include, but are, are not limited to, because I didn't bring up the robo umps and, and stuff like that. But three things that I brought up were uh, banning or limiting shifts, moving the mound back, and uh, or the bigger bases. Of course, you know, talking about the bases going from 15 by 15 to 18 by 18. And uh, so I'll, I'll run down the percentages really quickly. Not a lot of votes, but um, you know, banning or limiting shifts uh, got twenty eight percent of the vote. Bigger bases got sixteen percent of the vote. Makes sense. Uh, but the rule that people are least okay with is moving back the mound. That got fifty six percent of the vote. And I thought this was interesting because this, to me, depending on where you get your baseball information or where you get your news, can be the most divisive of all of these situations. So banning or limiting shifts. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll start with the low, uh, the, some of the, some of the other ones, the bigger bases to me is open and close. I don't like the bigger bases. Um, I think that, you know, it's, I get it's just a three by three, three inch by three inch difference, but that does make a huge difference, you know, and what it's going to do is it's going to invite a lot more replays, reviews, and to be honest with you, I don't think as as a baseball nation we really need that right now, considering how terribly um, reviews are being handled this year. I don't think anybody wants more reviews. Let's just let's just keep our imagine the number of plays that would go from routine 
or at least easy to call to borderline. And I think we're just inviting more bad outcomes. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not a, a, always going to be opposed to the bigger base, but they got to fix replay first. I feel like that would be one of those unintended consequences that by expanding the size of the base, you're just inviting this broken system to become even more forefront than it already is. So anyway, that's kind of, that's where I was with that. So, um, the banning of the, and the, uh, limiting of shifts, I'm not terribly opposed to limiting or at least, um, controlling shifts. You know, BABEP is this year is down, uh, and I know it's early going, I get that, but it's not unreasonable to think that if BABIP were to stay somewhat level to where it is, we could be looking at a record low batting average on balls in play, or at least close to it, much lower than the standard, uh, what we've been seeing. You know, what we've seen over the years is a, a, a league-wide BABIP around the 296 to 300 range. It, we could be down into the 280s which on a scale that large is actual, it's huge. And a lot of that has to do with shifts. And I just want to talk about the shifts just for a second, because I think it's important. You know, we can't, when you talk about shifts, okay, um, you know, we can't continue to tell players to fix the problems of the league. You know, and and there's nothing wrong with the strategic element using data and using the uh, information to better prepare. You know, if Ozzy Albies or is going to pull the ball every time he comes up, okay, then shift on him. But at the same time, if the league is going for a more exciting product, then uh, that to me seems like we should do something. Not not eliminate them, but do something. Maybe a shortstop can only go up to second base. Maybe you can you can work within the confines of a defined system, as opposed to just hey put them put your fielders wherever you want. Uh, I've seen some league. I think the Atlantic League is experimenting with the idea of you know you have to have four infielders on the dirt. You know where they are is irrelevant, but four outfielders on you know four infielders in the dirt. Um, I think. If you're going to, you know, we have to keep in mind the shift thing is especially interesting to me because this is an entertainment product. The competitive advantage, the competitive advantage has narrowed to a pinpoint in this game. And the what we're asking players to do now is we're saying, okay, now we're going to stack the infield. And we're going to stack the whole field, really, infield, outfield. We're going to stack everything um, to the one place you've been taught to hit your entire career. And that we, you've been paid to hit your entire career. And then we as fans, or you know, some of the old school hitters, you know, old school players, uh, the talking heads say, oh, we'll just hit it the other way. What what's lost in all of this is that now we're asking again, we're asking the players to fix the systemic problems of the league because the league is standing around saying, hey, we want a more exciting game. We want more balls in play. OK, well, I don't see how it's much of a net win if every ball that gets put in play is an out. So. 
And to, to go to a player, like let's say you to go to Freddie Freeman, reigning MVP, reigning NL MVP, and say, oh, just hit the ball the other way. What, what we forget is that the entire system that these guys have been brought up in has taught them don't hit the ball the other way, pull the ball, hit, the, hit it over the fence, hit the strong double to the corner. It's not, it doesn't reward that because also, by the way, they're trying to adjust to pitchers throwing 100 miles an hour you know, with with insane amounts of bite and movement. And now we're asking them to completely upend what got them there in the first place. And by the way, if you think that a team is not going to go to an arbitration hearing because and say, oh, well, the, you know, he's lost a lot of power, so we don't want to pay him as much. So now we're saying, oh, well, you know, uh, you, you fix it. You know, go to the players. You say, okay, you just, you know, hit the little nubber you know, off to the, off to the opposite field, go ahead and hit the single to the opposite field. When you've been trained your entire career to hit the double to the pull side or hit the home run to the pull side. So to ask players to fix the problem that the league needs to step in and fix, I think is unfair. And I think it, again, it loses sight of the fact it's, it's this weird blurry line between baseball is an entertainment product versus baseball is a straight-up performance-based business. It can be both. But if the way that we have it set up right now, I think there's, you need to at least, if you at least gave a structure for how shifts could be handled. Okay, you can do this, but you can't do that. Rather than just say, hey, just put them anywhere. There has to be some sort of self-awareness here that we are asking players to do more than they should have to do. And it's not their fault. It's not their fault that we, um, that we have sort of adapted to this product as fans because yeah, we all sit here and say, Oh yeah, well, you know, just hit it the other way. Okay. Yeah. But is that really, is that what you, or how happy are we going to be with that in the long run? So, you know, how happy are we going to be seeing single, single, like dead ball era baseball? And they'll say, oh, well, they'll just shift back. I mean, okay, but this is not something that I don't think, again, players should have to do that. Because now you're going to see players sacrificing their career trajectory to fix a problem that was created uh, outside of their own control. So, uh, the, so the shifting, I think, you know, they should, and I hope, and I hope, uh, you know, Mark Simon isn't listening to this, but I, I, I don't feel like they banning the shift, is, I think is an overcorrection, but I think there should be some kind of structure as to how shifts are done, how they're handled, not in quantity, but in, in concept. So, you know, like even if you have defined zones or something like that, I feel like there's, there's value, there's value in the, um, you know, in the ability for a player to own a particular part of the field. I think there's value in that. I think there's value in the fact that, yeah, okay, that doesn't mean, you know, if you control shifts, for example, yeah, I mean, uh, that routine ground ball that, you know, that Colton Wong is going to field because he's in a shift. 
Now he has to go get it. And that's kind of, you know, that's what Colton Wong does. You know, pay, you know, play him to the strengths. So ultimately, I feel like controlling but not eliminating shifts would be a smart move. Now, the one that got the one that got the most attention was the pitcher's mound. And I am an avid, uh, effectively wild listener. I read uh, Ben Lindbergh's piece in The Ringer. It's a fantastic, and as always with Ben Lindbergh, extremely thorough piece. And, you know, the sanctity of baseball infield dimensions, I think they should be called into question. I think baseball is not played by the same type of people as there was when these parameters were established. You know, there, uh, I think it was uh, George Will during Ken Burns' baseball documentary said these were guys coming, you know, trying to avoid work in the mines, you know, uh, or, you know, in another way, they're trying to avoid factories or uh, in turn of the century America. We've graduated and athletes have transformed, excuse me, baseball players have transformed into athletes. They're trained and molded into this game from the very other adolescence in some cases. You know, we we have the self-awareness of a, as a fan, as a general fan base to say, oh, well, Babe Ruth would, you know, he would be an average player at best in today's game. Okay, but yet we lack the self-awareness to say, you know what, maybe we should do something about the fact that this guy who has become so antiquated uh, by athletic standards is playing on the same dimensions as, you know, he's pitching from the same distance as Jacob deGrom and he's hitting, you know, I know the outfield fences were, were bigger, but like, you know, he was stealing bases and running the bases in the same way that Mike Trout does in the same dimension. So I feel like there's something that needs to be done here. I feel like we we're so in love with the legacy of the game that we we don't stop to think about, you know, it again as an entertainment product. I think you know, and Lindbergh makes a great argument that the um the bases themselves I or the, maybe this wasn't the intent of his argument, but this is how I interpret it. Uh, they, that is a balance. That's a sort of a zero sum because yes, runners are much faster now, but also infielders are faster. Uh, they throw harder. I think there's a competitive balance to that. Maybe it's not exact, but there's a competitive balance there that I think at least makes it interesting. You know, you're only just now seeing guys like Ronald Acuna and Byron Buxton legging out routine plays. This isn't like a epidemic, you know, through baseball where we're watching guys, you know, when I see guys like, uh, you know, when Albert Pujols can out, outrun, you know, a Matt Chapman throw from third to first, okay, we got a problem, but uh, that's not going to happen. So I think it's uh, critical to, to realize that competitive balance there and sort of cast that aside. So now you have, uh, the pitchers now, and that to me is a different story. The pitchers are increasingly throwing harder and harder. And they're really, again, kind of like, you know, baseball players, like I said about baseball players in general, they're being manufactured for that purpose. They're taught nowadays in their very early stages, velocity, velocity, velocity. You know, you got middle relievers again, like I said earlier, middle relievers going out there throwing triple digits and with spin rates and, and, you know, sliders and all kinds of nastiness. I mean, there's a reason. And then it's being hyped up by guys like Pitching Ninja 
And, you know, and that's not to say that they're doing anything wrong and they're doing anything bad. They're just going with the trend of the time. But it's, 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 it's almost like watching like baseball's version of porn. When you watch these, these sliders go in at a hundred miles an hour with just insane bite, or you watch the cutters go in with this arm side run. It's incredible. And it, and it, and it's complicated. It's a compliment to the craft. And you talk, look at pitch design and, you know, spin rates and all this other stuff. It's one, it is in its own way. It's a, it's wonderful. It's, it's like a Renaissance in a sense, you know, in terms of a different approach to pitching. Uh, and it should be commended, I think, uh, in, in many ways, but this is where this is where I think keeping the mound at sixty feet six inches again is detrimental to the uh, entertainment value of the game. You know the competitive spectrum has narrowed like to a pinpoint. We're already dealing in the extremes of just human abilities if for batters to you know recognize a pitch, see it out of the hand, you know look at the spin. And, uh, and make a reaction, you know, swing at the ball, swing at the ball and hit it. So if it keeps getting going like this as is for much longer, it's just not going to be palatable to the average fan. And it risks alienating the fans that it does have because it's, I mean, it's cool to watch, you know, uh, you know, Aaron Nola go out and throw a 16 strikeout game or something. That's great. But how much, how long until we start getting, you know, these, uh, two hit, you know, one to nothing games until we really start to get not, not sick of it, but we, it really starts to become a different type of game. And then the people, you know, now, now we're the people yelling at clouds, right? It's, it's just too much. I think it's too much to ask players to, uh, fix the problem. And, you know, honestly, like it's fine for us, you know, as like the, the real baseball nerds and everything like that, because there's almost like a freak show nature to it. There, it's, it's breaking the, what we thought was possible, but it's also, I don't want to be the only guy left in the room. And I'm sure anyone else who feels this way, Baseball is more fun when you can, you know, enjoy it with a large group of people. And if that large group of people eventually tails down to nothing, then, you know, you're, it's not as fun. And I, I can't, I, I have to believe that a lot of other people feel that way too. You know, it, it's not like necessary that we go out and get sponsorship on jerseys or anything like, or we do something wild like, you know, just make the game a home run derby all the time. I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's a spectrum here between a competitive business and an entertainment product. And I feel like we're, we're dri- the pendulum is swinging a lot further in the, in the one direction than the other. So for me, um, and, and moving the mound back makes sense the, to, to 61 feet, six inches. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a small change, but I think it could make a big difference. Uh, now my trade-off is though, my caveat is if they were to do this, you gotta get, you gotta go to robo umps at the plate. And I feel like, I feel like the robo umps are inevitable 
But at the same time, if you're going to do this, you cannot the break. You know, one of the things that've been brought up is the breaking pitches. We cannot rely on a human eye. That again, it's already being pushed to the brink. We cannot rely on the human eye to pick up, add another foot to these sliders and to these breaking pitches, and it's going to be impossible. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that we should do it because umpires are incompetent. If you look at the umpire report cards, most of them, outside of maybe Ron Culpa and Angel Hernandez, they're they're getting it right like 95 out of 100 times. The problem is, is that it's being pushed to the limit. And you see these 80, you know, uh, Ron Culpa had one from umpire uh, report cards. It's like an 84% accuracy rate. That, that can't happen. And so the, uh, not in a game, in games that are played at this level. And it's not because they're incompetent. It's because we are asking too much of them. If we add another foot to this, I feel like we are asking too much of umpires as a game to, to do that. So, uh, it's already hard enough. Don't make it harder. So my trade off is here is that if you move the bound back, which I, I tend to agree with, I think that you got to do rubble ops. So, you know, it, it sort of speaks to the whole thing that all the advantages, I think for a while, it was like all the advantages went to the batter, uh, that, that has swung the other way. And so now you have all the advantages going to the pitcher. I think you can't, you have to give a couple of equalizers. And I think that equalizer is moving them out back and going to robo umps at the very least go to the robo umps. But if they go to the extended mound and they don't go to robo umps, uh, that is, that's going to have a worse effect. If they go, you know, just robo umps and don't move the mound back, you know, we'll keep going down this. You know, I don't, I think the change will be marginal, but it'll be detrimental if they do move the mound back without the robo umps. So, you know, speaking to Lindbergh's piece where he, he advocated for moving the mound back. Uh, and you know, the Atlantic league is going to do this in the second half of their season coming up. So the data will come back from that and we'll see how it goes. But, you know, he, he, again, very thorough. He cites a, a American science and medicine institution study, very small study. And, you know, w- w- the reason for that was it was the concern of injury. You know, pitchers are already throwing at max effort. Adding another foot is just going to make them throw even harder. And uh, the biomechanics would, would go way off the charts. And then you run the risk of injury. I think that's a fair point, and I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, you know, this study showed little to no mechanical adjustments when the pitching distance varied, and therefore suggested a lesser risk of injury to pitchers. <clears throat> I am not sure how I feel about that, and I and I mentioned that because I um, I spoke with um, I spoke with Jeff Passan about this, who wrote uh, a book called The Arm. Everyone who listens knows. I'm pretty sure everyone knows who Jeff Passan is. Well, he wrote the arm, and I thought you know he would be able to lend some expertise on it. Um, and you know, while the arm focuses mostly on the UCL, uh, you know, I asked him, you know, do you think that this would be uh, this could invite more injuries? 
And, you know, he thinks that some pitchers will be fine, but it poses an overall injury risk to most. And here, and here's where, how I interpret that. The guys that already throw, like the year old is Chapman, uh, Jacob deGrom, uh, these sort of fireball pitchers will probably be fine because when you go from 101 to 98, okay, you're still talking about a high-end fastball. You're still talking about breaking stuff that is going to, when you throw it that hard, the break on it in and of itself is not going to change drastically, uh, you know, with an extra foot, you know, it will change, but not to the point where you're going from a major league to a triple a fastball. And those are the, you know, that large middle portion there. Those are the guys that are going to be affected by this the most. You're talking about your, um, to use an example, you're talking about your Mike Sorokas, your, um, you know, Max Freed's, uh, guys that throw decently hard, but maybe not like you're 90, they sit 93, 94, and then you're going, you know, now you're going down to 90, 91. These are the, uh, these are the players that are going to have to, uh, reevaluate how they're doing or throw harder. And that's where it becomes a problem because now with that extra foot, your breaking pitch that you've thrown your whole life, you know, you can't just, you know, turn into Greg Maddox here because now you're working from a different distance and you're working with a pitch that is now more susceptible to extreme movements. That slider that you could put or that sinker that you could put in the bottom of the zone. Um, I think of Kevin Gaussman and the fork and uh, the uh, fork ball that he throws, you know, that's a pitch that goes, that dives down. Well, you know, if you've got an extra foot, you go from a low strike to a plate bouncer and you've got a problem. So those are a lot of the pitchers that stand to benefit the least from this. And that, you know, honestly, uh, yeah, you could end up with more of an injury risk because now you've put these pitchers in a position where they have to choose. Do I throw hard enough to make up for the extra distance or uh, do I reinvent the wheel here on something that is untested? We don't know how those big looping curveballs are going to get called now. You know, we don't know how those diving sliders are going to get called now. So it is extremely, it puts them in a very, it puts the vast majority of pitchers into a difficult situation. And, you know, his stance was to do it responsibly. It would take a long time to implement and would start from the youth and, and the developmental ages, because here's here's what what I the more direct nature of my question to him was: Do are you con- would should we be concerned that like let's say for example now you're in uh, high school and you know you may be throwing ninety, you know you're like, you're a high end prospect in high school. Well, you know maybe that velocity doesn't play up as much. You got You got to push it harder. Um, these are very formidable ages and, um, I worry that we would be pushing this velocity culture even harder. We already push it too hard. We could be pushing it even harder, uh, if we add more distance to the mound. So it's hard. And, and, and what he said was, you know, to do it responsibly, it would take a long time. Probably his estimation was roughly a decade and it would have to be done to wean the younger pitchers off the current distance they've been used to. 
again, we're not talking about the extremes here because if you're young enough, you'll come up and just know a 61-6 mound. If you're already, you know, Jacob deGrom or, you know, Zach Wheeler, you'll probably be okay because you already throw gas and you'll most likely, you'll most likely be fine. The guys, pretty much if you're in, say, double A, you came up through high school, college, you're uh, playing in double A and all of a sudden everything changes. What you could see is a vast thinning out of the middle. And the intended consequence is to, yes, induce more contact and that's fine. But what kind of contact are we inducing? Are we just going to upend this so drastically. And I think this is the point that is something of the point that Jeff was trying to make. If you upend something so structural to the development process of a position, it's like if you moved second base a a, a foot to the left or you shrunk the base pass by five feet by, you know, two feet, these are small changes, but they're so structural to how the players are developed. Uh, it becomes a problem. And so I think that uh, on one hand, on one hand, I, I, I'm still a proponent of moving the mound back. Uh, I, I, I think I understand Jeff's counterpoint. I think that I think there's something necessary that has to be done. And I don't I don't think that just staring at it and saying, hey, there's a problem here and not doing anything about it. I don't think that is the way to handle this. So I think we do need to do something about it. And I and I do think that eventually the game will write this is more likely to write the ship if we move the mound back and, um, you know, eventually we will have a, a class of pitchers that are just used to this and there's enough that will survive there's enough that can be done it's not like it's it's not like it's easy to hit a 91 mile an hour fastball it's not like it's like you know we're gonna see 80 percent increases in offense i think we will with, with a measured approach to shifts and moving the mound back and robot umpires I think we will see a more interesting, a more entertaining product than what we currently have. And I, that's not to say what we have is bad, but there's a there is a situ there's a scenario, a trajectory, if you will, that if it keeps going, it could get bad. So um, ultimately, I I appreciated Jeff's insight on that. And I think he presents a very valid counterpoint to the argument that, yeah, the goal, and, and, I, and I hear other people saying, you know, it won't produce the results we want. Well, we don't know that. We, we can't, we can, we can look at it from a data-driven uh, viewpoint. And yeah, I mean, there's some evidence to believe that. It may, you know, it may not do much. But I think it's worth a try. And I think that there's reason to believe that it could work. And whatever did doesn't work, has a chance to correct itself over the long term. So ultimately, I, I kind of feel like when you when you look at all the things that we can change, I think that pitching, is, you know, a lot of advancements have gone the pitcher's way recently. I think it's about time to start equalizing just a little bit. Hopefully, it's not an overcorrection, but 
Uh, but then again, all of this could be an overcorrection. We just don't know. So anyway, uh, I, I think to put a bow on it, I, I am a proponent of moving the mound back, but I don't think it's as easy. And it's just like the shifts. I am a proponent of controlling, but not eliminating shifts. I am a proponent of moving the mound back, but a, I absolutely understand the other side of the argument to not doing it. The only thing I'm pretty open and shut about is robo-umps. We got to go robo-umps. And I'm not going to get started on the replay stuff because uh, I didn't prepare a whole lot about it because I don't I don't know necessarily if we're just more acute to it right now. I think I'd have to see a full season here if the train wreck, perceived train wreck uh, continues as it has so far. Uh, yeah, okay, that's something to talk about, but... For right now, um, I think there's things that we could be done with replay, but that's easy enough. So, anyway, thank you for listening, uh, and we'll uh, Jeff and I'll be uh, Jim, <laughs> Jim and I will be back uh, back next time. Thanks.